Uh, we are doing a sermon series out of the book of 1 Corinthians, and we have gotten to the end. It's the end of the 1 Corinthians sermon series. I'm glad you're conflicted about it. Uh, and uh, I always like to, to think about, you know, Paul reaching the end of a letter and he's trying to teach things to a lot of people. How does he wrap up uh, what is important to him at the time? Because he was a great writer, great teacher. Uh, he wrote the letter because this young church in Corinth was having a tough time. They were in crisis. He wrote the letter really to encourage them uh, to live out their faith well on a daily basis. It was about how to make things practical. And he had addressed some crises that the church in Corinth were having. He gave a lot of advice about a number of things. He had one sternly addressed uh, sinfulness in their church in the context of freedom. It's like, you know, just because you're free doesn't mean you, sh you can do anything you want in your life. Get sin out of your life so that when you come together, you're a pure vessel. Uh, he had tried to clarify their purpose in life. They had a purpose together. He talks a lot about living out your purpose in a daily way. He had basically, in the letter, set out what I call a theory of church, is what church should be like when you gather together. And Paul's theory was basically... Everybody has spiritual gifts, so when you come together, uh, the thing to do is to figure out how to get everybody to use their gifts so that we have a complete body, so all the members of the body are working together. It's a very grassroots sort of model. He called the Corinthians to focus on two great fundamentals, love and eternity, and to really always have those in mind as guiding lights uh, in this life. There were 16 chapters. Uh, in the book of Corinthians, which is a lot of content uh, about uh, a lot of specific things. And as we get to the end, I can sort of see Paul grappling with what is always a problem when you're trying to teach people a lot of stuff. Uh, he's, he's grappling with the idea of how to get people to remember what he said, what is important, and how to get people to follow through on what he has said. Uh, the changes and the principles that he has suggested. Um, how to get people to follow through, which is often the money question in life, isn't it? Um, this was a challenge for Jesus um, at the end of his longest teaching, which was called the Sermon on the Mount. He gives his, his great follow-through teaching, which was essentially uh, about a guy who built a house uh, two guys who built two different houses. One built on sand, because it was fairly easy to dig into sand and sort of create a foundation for a house in sand. It's nice and soft to work with. And then another guy who built his house on a rock, which is a lot harder. But you know what happens. The guy who built on the rock, uh, his house survived when the storms of life came. Uh, and Jesus sums up that little parable teaching by saying, if you hear what I say and obey, then you're like the guy who built um, his house on rock. If you hear what I say and you don't follow through, then it's like you're building on sand. Whatever you do will just be wiped away with the next storm and it will be worse than if you never heard what I said at all. Follow through is an important thing. I think, um, having gone through 1 Corinthians a number of time in my, times in my life, I think I understand the book fairly well. Having listened to me teach about it for a couple of months, you may disagree. I don't care. I'm preaching. But I do think I understand what Paul is saying fairly well. 
which begs the question, why do I so often drift from the things that I understand? Why, why so often do I drift in, in love? You know, I know that love is the most important thing, but there are days when I'm just grumpy. I know eternity is where my, my thoughts should reside. I should have an eternal perspective, but often I get angry in traffic, you know. Uh, and those are just two casual examples. I drift from what I know uh, to be true. What keeps us from drifting? What keeps things from just being head knowledge and turns them into practice in life? That's the money question. Uh, so uh, I wanted to read the very last chapter in 1 Corinthians with that in mind. And I'm just going to take a couple excerpts from it. I'm going to read uh, the first several verses of chapter 16, and then I'm going to read from the middle part. And, and, uh, and think, be thinking about it this way. Paul is wrapping up. Paul is wrapping up. Uh, so these are things that he's emphasizing, things that he is doing to, I think, help people follow through. Now, uh, about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every month, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them when you're, with your gift to Jerusalem, the headquarters. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Uh, one thing that happened a lot uh, in the church planning world in those days is that a successful church would make donations that would be collected, taken to Jerusalem, and then those donations would fund further missions. Uh, and this was a, a practice, and so this is some advice that Paul is giving them. Skipping down a few verses, Paul shifts gears. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, Achaia, that's Greece, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's purpose. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. Uh, they visited Paul in the city where he was. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. Now, I know that seems like a, a smattering of selections from the chapter, uh, but what I'm trying to do is just to underscore the, the method in Paul's madness here as he wraps up. Uh, the central verse to this passage, I think, is actually in the middle, and it's Paul's summary statement. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. And if 1 Corinthians has a sign-off, I think that's probably what it would be. So a few things here uh, I notice. Uh, Paul does, at the end of 1 Corinthians, he does a few things to empower follow-through. He's given a few practical examples and encouragements. Number one, one thing I notice he does is uh, he summarizes and simplifies. People learn uh, one sentence at a time. They, um, they do not learn a paragraph at a time uh, in life. Uh, and so 
Paul inserts, uh, what is a good memory verse? You know, a good summary statement. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous and be strong. Do everything in love. Uh, if I were to sort of translate that into our vernacular expressions, I think what Paul is saying essentially is, don't fall into sin, stay focused and intense about your purpose, and do everything in love. I can't really improve on that one. Just do everything in love. Uh, be, on, be on guard, you know, like be vigilant, uh, some translations uh, say. Uh, he spent a lot of time in 1 Corinthians talking about vigilance against sinfulness, you know. Don't drag that stuff into the church, he tells the Corinthians, because as soon as you do, you're sacrificing who you are, you know. Yeah, it's not about rules. There is grace. We're not under the law. But remember who you are. You are made for a holy purpose. You have work to do. And if you mess around with that fleshly nonsense, you forget who you are. It compromises your testimony and your abilities. So be on your guard. Be constantly vigilant against sin uh, for uh, the right reason. And then he spends a ton of time in 1 Corinthians talking about our purpose. Everything he says, he says in light of our purpose on the earth, which is to change the world through the spread of the knowledge of God's good character and overcoming power. Um, so stay focused and be intense. You know, that's, um, you know, be courageous and, and be strong and stand firm in your faith. Remember what you believe, what you believe about Jesus. He's alive and things in the kingdom of God are moving. And then do everything in love. If you ever have questions about your behavior, about what you should or should not do in a given situation, just ask yourself, am I being selfless here or am I being selfish? Am I serving someone else? Am I preferring someone else? Or am I just sort of getting mine? Uh, great. Great piece of advice. Great summary piece of advice. Great simplification. It's a really nice simplification, uh, that verse. Shall we read it together? Let's do that, huh? Can we, be, can we be cheesy and communal like that? Let's, shall we? Let's go. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. All right, high fives all around. Now oh, you got it. I think it's a nice simplification uh, because, um, you know, there's, no, there's nothing there that I don't already know. And one way to think about 1 Corinthians, uh, to sort of put it in lens, is that, you know, I have reviewed it at some length. Nowhere in the entire 16 chapters does Paul ever tell the Corinthians anything they don't already know. Everywhere you look, he's saying, remember that, recall that, this is what you first believed about Jesus, stick to it. It's all a reminder. 16 chapters, just reminding them of stuff that they already know. And here he's giving them a rehearsal statement, you know, you know be strong, uh, be vigilant against sin, stay focused on your purpose, do everything, um, do everything in, in love. I, I know that, I, you know, I, I know those things. I know what sin is. I mean, basically, I know what sin is. And given that I know what sin is, conceivably, I can avoid it. I can totally do that as long as I stay on it. At this point in my walk with Jesus, I basically know what my purpose in life is. 
Uh, and, you know, anybody can quite easily know generally what their purpose in life is. So knowing your purpose in life is just a matter of staying on it, sort of keeping it on the front part of your brain, rehearsing it a little bit. I know what love is. You know, I got that. Um, basically, to be selfless and not selfish. It doesn't take a genius to figure that out. Uh, it's just a matter of, of staying on it. There's such a value in rehearsing simple statements to yourself. It's just a matter of staying on target, right? 90% of life, I think, is staying on target. 90% of teaching in any church, any faith community, is, is really just about encouraging people to stay on target. And throughout the Bible, we get these target statements. How many commandments are there? Ten. Well, actually, you know, if you're a very religious person and you count through the Old Testament, you're going to find 613 commandments from God. But there are ten summary commandments, right? Why ten? Because we have ten fingers. And it's really easy to remember ten summary commandments because you have ten digits, right? There's only... Uh, one God, you know, no carven images, you don't take his name in vain, you uh, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, you honor your father and your mother, you don't murder, you don't commit adultery, you don't uh, steal, you don't bear false witness, and you don't covet. This is my covet finger. Yeah, you don't covet. You got that, right? You can do that. Anybody can do that. And if you, if you need help, you just, you just write cheat notes on every digit. And for a wandering nomadic desert people, which is what the Israelites were for a long time, this was an excellent way to teach. For a very, very busy, pell-mell, postmodern people, this is a great way to teach. Same, same. Right? So keep that in mind. We have lots of slogans at Blue Water, and the reason we do that is because slogans transfer culture really, really well. What's our church slogan? Try. Right? Try, try. Any. Anybody can try, because try is, is, is faith, isn't it? Faith is when you try, when you try things. Are you going to fail? Are you going to succeed? I don't know. Try. That about says it all. You know, the leap of faith is basically just a, just a try. What are you going to do today? You're going to try things. You're going to try for Jesus. All you have to do is try. Sums up a huge amount uh, of, of gospel teaching. Uh, if you've been around Blue Water, uh, you may have heard a little bit about the, the Blue Water path. We talk about it sometimes. First you're a seeker, then you're a follower, then you're a servant, then you're a worshiper, then you're a minister. And, you know, you got five fingers on one hand, you can remember that. Um, helps you stay on target. Helps you uh, progress. Uh, people ask us what our church is about. Ever since the beginning of our church, we've been talking about four distinctives that we think help us be kingdom people in the midst of our culture. Can you guys name those uh, distinctives? Those of, you been around, those of you who are just to the newcomers class or luncheon could probably uh, remember them. We are about radical grace. We are anti-materialistic. Uh, we are supernatural and we are mission-oriented. And if you can pull off those four things, you're going to be salt in the world. You're going to live a life that is very different than the rest of the world uh, is living. And, you know, not, none of our slogans, none of our lists should ever be much longer than, uh, than five. Because <laughs> we have five digits. And if you can't boil it down, then you're probably not keeping track of it well. 
you know? And this all makes me ask something of my life. Am I simple? Do I boil it down or do I complicate things? If you are a complicator, then you spend a lot of time walking in circles. If you are a simplifier, then, then you're probably staying on target. Think that's true? If you're like, I don't know, I have to think about it, then you're probably the complicator type. Or you've just learned to reflect on stuff that I say, which certainly has some uh, wisdom to it. The church retreats that we do every year are a great time for coherence and, and pushing us forward in our mission. A uh, little secret, most church retreats uh, are, are just rehearsals of stuff that we already know. It's just driving stuff home. It's spending some time soaking in things that we already know about. Uh, church retreats are precisely a time of simplification. Um, they are isolating because we go off someplace, which simplifies lives. They are concentrating because we're all thinking and working on the same things uh, for uh, a few days. And then they are good practice. So summar summarization and simplification is, is one way to get people to follow through. Uh, number two, another trick that, that Paul uses uh, is to turn a good practice into regular practice. Paul wants his converts to be people of routine. Routine. There's a great power in routine and in, in good habits, stuff that you do regularly. And one example that he gives of that here at the end of the letter is this uh, gift for the Lord's people, this collection for the Lord's people. Uh, it, it was essentially their tithing. Um, the people of God, for time immemorial, have uh, made a regular practice of financial offering, sort of material offering. And uh, the deal in these church plants among the Greeks is that, well, that had to go on, but there was no institution for it. If you were a Jewish convert in that day, you already had a tradition of making tithes, uh, regular donations of 10% of your income. That's what tithe means. It means 10, 10% a tenth part. You had a regular tradition of making a tenth part donation to the temple, right? You had a temple that had been part of Jewish culture for centuries, and so every year you would tithe to the temple, and then the temple would sort of use that money to run uh, the organization and, and essentially the, the mission of, of uh, the faith. Well, Greeks had no temple. Uh, they had no tradition of the temple. Evidently, uh, what they would do is they would donate regularly to the mission of, of the people of God, which was to spread the gospel around the world. All of those funds would be taken to Jerusalem and dispersed uh, from that central headquarters. Um, this was uh, difficult to officiate, evidently. Uh, from time to time, a representative of headquarters would blow through town, and then the, ch the local church would take a big collection and give them money. But that was hard to do because maybe people weren't ready to make the collection. Maybe they weren't in a position to be generous with their funds. So Paul has a solution for this. And it's just, just so practical, it's, it's almost inane. It's like, look, at the beginning of every month, you know, on payday, um, set aside a portion of your money in keeping with your income. You know, he doesn't say tithe. He doesn't say a tenth. He just says... You know, you can afford something, uh, and the absolute amount of that thing will depend on how much money you make. Set it aside. Put it in a jar on your bedstand, 
And then when somebody from headquarters comes to town, or when next I come to town, you just dump it, that jar into a wheelbarrow, and then I put it in a satchel, and I carry it with me uh, when I go back to headquarters. That's the idea. Sounds really inane, right? Really inane. It is the key to your financial life with God. Because I know, and I'm sure there are a lot of people here know, that if you don't regularly set aside money for the work of the Lord, if you're not regularly giving, then you're not giving. Right? If it gets to December and you're like, oh, time for the tax write-off, I'm going to give some stuff. You, you know, you, you, might, you might give something. But if you haven't been on top of it all year, that will be clumsy, it will be awkward, you won't give very much. You will at that moment struggle with generosity. You are a generous person if you give regularly. You are not a generous person if you give infrequently. That's just, that's just how it is. And I think Paul is thinking about this. Like, oh yeah, I haven't talked about financial stuff. How am I going to get them to do the right thing? Oh, well, I'm just going to tell them to do it regularly. Um, there is, this is a, a fairly mundane example, uh, but, um, but a powerful principle. You are essentially your routines in life to a great extent because we live in time and routine is about what you do with time. You are your routines in life. And Paul, this isn't the only regular practice that Paul encourages in the book of Corinthians. He makes a big deal talking about the regular practice of coming together as an assembly. He spends a large number of chapters talking about the assembly. If you don't come to church regularly, seriously, I mean, it sounds so juvenile. If you don't come to church regularly, you're a lousy disciple. That's not me judging you. That's just me making a comment about human nature. If you don't have it in your routine to meet together with people of faith, to leverage one another's gifts of faith, to work together in a communal, read, loving venture, then you're not getting very far in life. You're going to be seriously stunted in your faith. Um, and, you know, church can look like different things for different people, but I think the principle holds. If you're not gathering regular regularly, then you're really not part of what the Lord is doing in the world. Another regular practice that Paul encourages is the practice of, of taking communion, the Lord's Supper, which is something that we're going to do at the end of the sermon today. That's a regular practice given to us by, what's his name? Jesus, that's it. Jesus himself, uh, on the night before he died, he celebrates a supper with his, uh, with his disciples, and he says, hey, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, guys, I want you to have some institution to keep my memory alive in you and to remember what my life was like with you. And you might think, who would possibly forget spending three years with Jesus? Jesus is smarter than that. He's like, you guys will forget everything if you don't make it a regular practice to remember everything. You know, you have to rehearse in life. That was almost the last thing Jesus did with his disciples. Figure out a way to do this regularly or it will all fall apart. Principle in life. I will say this much. If you are accomplishing anything in life worth doing, it is because you do it regularly. That's a bold statement. You think it's true? If you're accomplishing anything in your life, 
it is because you are doing that thing regularly. What do you think? That's just something to think about. Um, faithfulness, another word for faithfulness is repetition. Uh, another word for discipline is repetition. Uh, your self-concept is usually based on repetition. It's, it's what you do most. That's what you think of yourself. I could go on and on, but there you have it. Do you have a solid daily and weekly routine? Yes or no? Do you have a solid daily and weekly routine? And do you have a solid daily and weekly routine where your faith is concerned and where these principles that Paul is talking about is concerned? Do you seek? Do you follow? Do you serve? Do you worship? Do you minister? Regularly. So you don't do it regularly, then you're not really growing in it. The third thing that, uh, that Paul uh, suggests, the final thing that he suggests to keep us on target, is he, he very slyly suggests, I think, uh, that we remember good models in life. He wants us to have a living model of the stuff that he's talking about. It's important for you to have um, a hero, if you want to call it that, a mentor, somebody that you learn from, a fellow traveler in the life of faith uh, that helps you see what the life of faith uh, should be like. Here he talks about uh, this fellow Stephanus and uh, in the house, the family uh, of Stephanus. He says the household of Stephanus were the first converts uh, in Greece. They devoted themselves to service. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people. Follow them. Follow their examples. Everybody knows about Stephanus. Everybody in Corinth knows about Stephanus and his, and his family, right? Okay. Follow them. Uh, he ends by saying, such men deserve recognition. Such men deserve to be looked at, is what he says. And that's so important, I think, for driving lessons home. You know, it's, it's one thing to, to read a lecture, to hear a lecture, to see diagrams on paper and stuff like that. Uh, but the thing that often helps you trigger it in your life is being near someone who's doing it. And then that sort of fleshes it out. It fills in all the gaps for you, right? Um, there are, um, there are uh, encouragingly to me, uh, there are a number of people around the country uh, listening to like Blue Water sermons or reading our stories on the website and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm forever getting emails, can I come spend time at your church? And they come and they spend their vacation with us uh, for a week or two and, and uh, I like, I mean, I, I hope we have something good to offer them. I mean, look around, decide for yourself. <laughs> I don't know. Depends on the day, right? Um, but I, but I, like the, I like the intuition behind what they're saying. It's like, I, I so like hearing about your stories. I think I like what's going on with you guys. I need to see it. I need to, I need to walk it out next to somebody. I need somebody to put their arm on my shoulder and just sort of take me uh, along. Um, and, and then it will become real to me. And I, I know a lot of us have benefited from that. You are where you are today in faith because someone near you made it real. You saw, you saw what it was to actually follow Jesus and then stuff clicked for you. Uh, we like models in life, living models. One early model I had uh, was a coach, a guy named Jay McRoberts, Coach McRoberts. 
who was a teacher at this middle school uh, that I went to. He was a teacher, but really he was the pastor of the school. Uh, and he, he was a coach, so he worked with athletes. Every Friday morning, we would have the letterman's meeting where all the athletic guys uh, would gather in the, in, in the men's locker room. We called it the men's locker room. We were all, you know, 13, 14. Uh, you go down there. And uh, ostensibly to talk about sporting things in the week's big game or something like that. And then he'd just preach at us for 20 minutes before school started. That, that was by far the most formative church I'd ever been to. Uh, because what was happening is that a guy was living it out in regular life. You know, giving us stuff to do as we attended school. It, it invaded my world. You know, it wasn't just someplace I went and sat and listened in a pew, it was there with me and, and just made such a difference. He became a model for me. Uh, and for a lot of us guys uh, from, you know, troubled homes, you can never really get to church regularly. It was discipleship, you know. It was just having a model. And maybe there have been people like that in, in your life. I think partners can be as good as mentors in this respect. You don't necessarily need someone who's like much, much wiser than you are. You just need someone who's doing what you should be doing. And then you can feed off of one another. You know, two people uh, walking together can go twice as far as one person walking alone. Right? You feed off one another. You remind each other what it's supposed to look like. So, uh, to summarize, you need peeps. You need people. Absolutely, uh, you do. Uh, I, uh, uh, our Justice Restaurant, Seed Restaurant, has been getting a lot of positive uh, attention uh, from the community, the island at large. You know, we've been on TV specials and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, non-believers are taking uh, notice of it and appreciating it for the statement of, of God's love and justice uh, that it is. But a lot of local pastors. Uh, have been um, seeing it as well, and I was, uh, I was meeting with one local pastor um, at Seed, actually, uh, recently. I've, I've met with, I don't know how many, maybe a dozen, uh, saying, hey, can I have lunch at that restaurant of yours and see what you're doing? And uh, this guy is a very successful uh, pastor in town, and, uh, and so we were eating. I, I, was, I was, of course, having the portobello tofu sandwich, which is what I always have. Thank you, Alicia, at lunch. Uh, awesome sandwich. I don't know, I don't know what he was eating. Uh, but, uh, but his comment to me has become um, common. This is what I hear a lot um, from you know, other believers on the island. He paused at a certain point and said, you're actually doing it. You know, it's like, you, know, you had an idea about justice. Everybody talks about, uh, you know, business as mission and, you know, all of these other things. You're actually doing it. Um, can my church do it too? It's like, oh yeah, your church actually much better positioned to try something like this. You know, a lot, a lot more resources. But you have to see it, right? Once you see it, once you see somebody doing it, then it kind of becomes possible for you. And I think Blue Water is pretty good at that. You know, because we try. And that means we do stuff. Do we do it well? I don't know. But we try, we do it, and then it becomes possible for so many more people. So let's keep that up, right? Can we do that? Let, let, let's be peeps for the rest of the island. And be peeps for one another.
you know, be people. We have to be each other's peoples and partners uh, with that. Somebody said to me recently of, of uh, the, the Ohana group, the small group ministry that we have, uh, the way that we meet in small groups. A person said, you, you guys actually expect God to talk to you and to be with you at these groups. I said, yeah. And the person said, well, that, that's different to me. You know, I thought about my own life. I was, I was uh, you know, late in my teens. I was in college before I ever went to a church that expected God to speak while they were together. Right? But that's just part of coming together, you know, of being with your peeps, is that we expect God to hear, uh, to speak to us and to hear him, uh, and so it becomes real to us. In short, you have to have peeps. You got peeps? People with whom you travel, uh, in, in whom you can see yourself. You got to have peeps in whom you can see yourself, if you know what I mean. Ah, they do that, I can do that. Do you have people like that? Do you? If you don't, go to one of the Johanna groups. Uh, a number of them are listed in your bulletin. You can talk to TJ or Auntie Brenda when she comes back from her mainland travel. Caveat, just to say it, I will probably not be that person for you. I will probably not be your chief peep. Reason being, I have a lot of peeps. And I might not have time to meet with you regularly uh, every week. Uh, you're very fortunate you get to listen to me preach at you every week. Um, I can make cameos in your life. You know, we can have an appointment every so often. I'll show up uh, and I'll try to make it a good, a good moment. But you got to have other peeps, you know, pe people that you walk with in a more daily and weekly way. I'm just saying. In life, it's about staying on target. And, uh, you know, if I, if I could summarize, you know, 1 Corinthians in a phrase, it would probably be that, staying on target. I mean, it's got to be the right target, but you know what the right target is if you've been hanging around God at all. So this is about staying on target. Um, living out your faith on a daily basis in a daily way is staying on target. Nowhere in the book does Paul do anything but remind the Corinthians of stuff that they already know. They should be able to put it together. Often it's not what you know that matters. It's doing what you know that matters. And it's not even doing what you know that matters. It's doing what you know regularly that matters. So when Satan comes against us in life, the first thing he'll try to do is to keep us from knowing the truth. The next thing he will try to do is keep us from doing the truth. And if that doesn't work, the next thing he will try to do is keep us from doing it regularly and consistently. He will try to make you moderate. He will try to make you fuzzy instead of sharp and consistent. And, and that's probably the attack of Satan against most of you. Uh, you know the truth. You know how to do the truth. Probably your growth edge in life is just doing it consistently, right? It's probably where the attack is. And that's how it was for the Corinthians as well, uh, if that's any comfort. Last week we asked, uh, do you feel as if you're an on-target person? Are you an on-target person? Do you feel as if you're on target in life? Sometimes? Honest answer. Um, are you finding your target? Do you know what your target is in life? These are all things that we can be asking ourselves in light of 1 Corinthians. Do you need a little help finding your target or staying on target? Anyone? Snaps? Amen? Hallelujah? Chihu? Come on? 
Thank you. Gesundheit. Um, a few other inventory questions to leave you with for today. Are you a complicated person or a simple boil it down person? Part of that is personality, but when it comes right down to it, do you boil it down and keep it simple, or do you complicate and endlessly complexify? Which are you? You're a complexify. How many of you think your spouse is a complicated person? Could stand to be a little more simple. How many of you think your spouse is overly simple? Yeah. Um, but, you know, just, will you just boil it down and do it? Thank you. Uh, do you have a routine? Do you have a, do you have a routine in walking with Jesus? Do you have daily and weekly routines? Yes or no? Check. Check. You know, you're going to want to write that down and think about it. Do you have peeps? Do you have people that you're really walking with in life that you can see yourself in? that make it real for you? Yes or no? I know where you can get them. Do you have them? Yes or no? Write that down. That's a great inventory question. And depending on how you answer those questions, I can pretty much tell immediately if you are an on-target person or not. Just with those few questions. Are things simple and boiled down for you? Uh, do you have a daily and weekly routine? Do you have peeps? If you answer no to any of those questions, you're having trouble staying on target in life. That's it's not like gospel truth, but I'm pretty sure uh, that's what it is. So that's easy. You know, I'm glad that Paul helps us with these little follow-through tricks. My final thought for the day is, is don't be fuzzy. When I was in college, uh, we divided students into two groups. There were fuzzies and there were techies. Now, the techies were the people that were going to go on in life and make a lot of money. They were people who were like engineers, you know, the professional scientists, people that studied, you know, real things and, and uh, as a result would get real jobs later. And then there were the fuzzies. I, of course, was a fuzzy. Uh, they were liberal arts majors who studied ideas and concepts, you know. They studied literature or, in my case, political theory or philosophy or something like that. And, and they were called fuzzies because they had a hard time making what they studied into real practical things, real practical steps in life. Uh, this offended me deeply as a fuzzy, and so I, I, I made an inner vow to take everything I studied and figure out how to make it real in, in some fashion. Ah, I more or less followed through uh, on that in life. But in general, we don't want to be fuzzy. Or if you are fuzzy, you don't want to leave things fuzzy. You have to make it sharp. So decide on something. Decide on something. Have a plan and try it. And if it doesn't work, immediately make another one. Don't be fuzzy. Everybody say it back to me. Turn to the people next to you. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we have heard uh, lots of good things from you. We have heard lots of good things in your scriptures. We have the collected stories of the people of God through the centuries. We know, Lord, we know. We know. We pray humbly in Jesus' name that you would make us follow through on what we know. Uh, we ask God uh, for, um, for reality in our faith. I pray uh, in particular this morning, Lord, that you would, that you would give us uh, regularity, routines, that you would give us habits, stuff 
that you call us to do every day and every week. I just want to pause a minute and let the Holy Spirit give you some ideas if you are at a loss for ideas. I'm quite sure he is not. Stuff to do every day and every week. Because in large part, you are your routines. And Father, I pray that you would give us people uh, to walk with. I pray, Lord, that you would bless us with the great spirit of fellowship and co-laboring. That we would, as Paul says in a different letter, um, spur one another on in the doing of good works. Give us the spirit of advance, the spirit of the advancing troop, and the celebration of a loving family. We pray that everything that we've studied in this particular letter would change us so that we would be on guard, that we would be strong, intense upon our purpose, and so we would do everything in love, be people of love, generosity, and selflessness. And we ask that in Jesus' name.